millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. If you think of any time in your life you've ever struggled, I promise you, it was because you lost perspective. You hyper-focused on the problem and you could not see the solution. Nothing changed except your perspective. But when your perspective changed, you showed up in the world differently, thus your reality changed. You basically can't be grateful and resentful at the same time. If you're really grinding it out or you're in a stressful situation, recognize one day this will end and you may look back on it with with appreciation. How can you want to be grateful for the grind, for the stress, for the uncertainty? Because if you can learn to see it as something to be grateful for, that allows you to push through it much more powerfully than if you were just resentful and hated the situation in the moment. Again, it's all a perspective shift. What perspective do you need to adopt to move forward and how can you adopt that perspective? Everything. Is, is fundamentally with the intention of helping you shift your perspective, the direction that is right for you to go, what is holding you back and how to overcome it. It's all just a matter of perspective. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. I'm your humble host, Amrit Sandhu, and you're tuning in to a conscious conversation designed to help you grow. Our mission here is simple. It's for you to live your purpose, live your best life, live the life you love. This podcast is sponsored by Enthusiasm for Life, by great creation itself. To keep the good vibes flowing for myself and yourself, do us a solid. Subscribe to the Inspired Evolution podcast on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution podcast. Now sit back, relax, open your mind, open your heart to this conversation and stay inspired keep evolving hey there guys this week's episode is with dr Corey wilkes a mindset maestro who specializes in perspective and perspective shifts he is the number one leading psychologist for creators and entrepreneurs online this is an incredibly great conversation if i can say so myself on the power of perspective and how we see and view the world and how to, well, manipulate is probably, a, it's a bad word, it's got some negative energy around it, but really manipulate your own perspective for yourself so you can actually influence and see things differently and how that can actually have different outcomes for you in your life and in your world. So it's a great conversation, really grounded in psychology and also being a creator myself and him being a creator online, you know, we have some conversation around 
basically what some of the mindset challenges are for creators online as well. And fundamentally, the challenge with that we also had was we started talking and we just went off on a like we just hit the ground running and um yeah the podcast starts a bit abruptly because uh one of the things that you will find when you find two podcasters in the same space it's very difficult to know when to actually turn the microphones on um because the content is just generally rich and running because both people are podcasters and they just you know vibing off content that they're both exploring so we definitely ran into that problem in this podcast and at a certain point the conversation that we were having prior to starting the podcast was already so rich that we were like hey let's just go with this podcast my initial intentions around the podcast were to have a conversation around the stoic philosophy of memento mori which is basically keeping the idea of death alive in your day-to-day waking state which is something that Corey is a champion for and is widely recognized for and just the power of that in itself the perspective and the influence that that has on living a really rich life because it is quite a dark thought to be consistently thinking about death but then how can that really enrich the light of your life and really live out a rich life so that was something that I was curious to to explore in this podcast but then we went into so much more around the topics of perspective. So if you're interested in a perspective shift or curious about how to shift your own perspective or actually upgrade your perspective, or if you know someone that this could be useful for, please feel free to share it around, tune in, and let me know in the comments below how you're finding this podcast. As always, I invite you to hit the like button if you are liking this podcast. It costs you nothing, but does so much for us at the back end for the YouTube algorithm, as always. Without too much further ado, this podcast with Dr. Corey Wells. One caveat that that I I have seen is to you, to your point of like basically double down on what the data says, right? Like what because you know Mr. B says substitute algorithm with audience, right? So like what does my audience want? What does my audience respond to? The issue that I've seen some creators struggle with <clears throat> is twofold. One, they either get to a level where they are afraid to evolve. Because they personally, they have evolved as a person, but they are in their, their interests, their experiences, whatever evolved, but they are afraid to evolve as a creator or, or they're afraid to evolve their business. So then they kind of fossilize because they say, look, we, we have succeeded so well and we have all these metrics. We know as long as we follow this formula or these three or five you know, formats, we're all but guaranteed success on, on these videos or these articles or these whatever. Well, I want to experiment. I want to talk about other things over the last three years or, or eight years I've become really passionate about. I want to talk about these on my channel or whatever, but I'm afraid the algorithm will penalize me or my audience won't, won't enjoy it. So then it creates this, this cognitive dissonance of I have evolved over here, but I have fossilized over here. And then that can turn into burnout and resentment and other things. The other issue I see a lot of creators like who, who reach a certain point really struggle with is they become a caricature of themselves. So there are two examples, and, and, and I don't know either of these people personally, so I'm sure there's a lot of behind-the-scenes shit, so I'll give that caveat. But there are two names that tend to come up with when this conversation happens. Uh, what's his name? Like Nick Accato, Avocado or something. He's this like entertainer YouTuber. And he basically started off as like the skinny vegan kid. 
and he made videos about whatever. And then at one point he made like, it's called like a mukbang video. Basically just like you eat a shit ton of food at once. Um, and that video went viral. So he's like, Oh, I'll do more of that. And he kept doing that to where now he's like four or 500 pounds and like literally do like you can Nikocado avocado. You can look at his YouTube channel, look at his oldest video. And he's this, his oldest video. He's a skinny little vegan kid. And his newest video, he, he takes up half the fucking frame. Okay. Because he doubled down too much on what his audience wanted. The other person, and this is much more of, of a controversial example is Jordan Peterson, right? Jordan Peterson early on talked a lot about spirituality and history and religion and things, but then, and, but he criticized the left and the right, right? He was like, I'm not liberal. I'm not conservative. Both y'all got fucking problems. But over time, you know, with the, the, the compelled speech thing, right in Canada, they were like, Hey, you have to use, you are required legally to use somebody's preferred pronouns. And he was like, look, I, I have an issue with that. Not because of pronouns, but because of compelled speech. I don't give a shit that and you not trans. Because I'm I don't right. Want, it's a, not because it's a, I'm right. And this is left. It's, it's, it's a slippery. Just, this is super far left. It, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It, it, yeah, exactly. And it is a slippery slope. If, if I have to, if I am legally required to call you a certain thing, that is a slippery slope to like dictatorship and, and tyranny and things, right? That I understood. But throughout that, a lot of people on the far left were like, oh, you're a conservative bigot. And over time, what happened was he kept getting attacked from one end, but then the other end was like, bro, we'll, we'll take you. Like, we don't attack you. Our people like what you're saying. And then slowly he shifted and and slowly it was like, well, when I talk about, when I, when I talk about things criticizing this direction, it doesn't perform as well. People don't like it as much, but when I make content that, that attacks this side way over here, the side that is attacking me, it performs way better. So then slowly he shifted and became a caricature of himself. Early on, people on the far left were like, you're super conservative. You're just a mouthpiece. You just, you, you're, you're transphobic. You're this, you're that. But over time, he shifted to actually a lot of the things more recently he has said is much more aligned with what he was originally accused of, of saying and being. And it, it sucks for me too, man, because I'm like, I don't necessarily agree with all the shit you say, but I appreciate that you are raising awareness for the power of psychology. Like you and Dr. Phil and shit, like I don't agree with all y'all's fucking takes, but I appreciate what you do for the, for the discipline of psychology. But you get to the point where like you double down too much on what your audience wants and you lose yourself in, in that mix, right? And that is the thing I have to remind myself of like, there, there, there is a Venn diagram of what my audience likes and responds to, but what is also authentic to me. And they have to be aligned because it is so easy as a creator to lose yourself in what your audience wants. And once you do that, you get to a point where you have all this material success, but you fucking hate your life because you aren't you anymore. You lost yourself years ago. Right. This is going to be the podcast today. I know we were talking about <laughs> at some point, but this is just going to, I'm just fucking fine, going man. with this because this is the most important conversation, I think, fucking right. So one of the key things in there is I, I, I relate so, like I can just, it's really resonating because I remember watching um, on Colin and Sammy, Tim Ferriss came on recently and that was one of my favorite conversations I've had on because both like Sammy was a massive fanboy of Tim's and Colin's kind of like, like productivity <laughs> you know it was actually kind of cool to just watch the two different um juxtapositions like interviewing tim ferris and tim went out of his way 
and Colin's followed him a long time and I never knew Tim did this, but apparently Tim did some episodes where he would just get like, not blind drunk, but like, you know, five odd scotches in and then randomly drunk dial people to do a podcast and record the conversation and see if they were good with it and launch that into the world. And Tim says that every time he felt himself do what you just described, the Jordan Peterson thing, right? Like going into a certain, like he was getting cry, like groomed by his audience to be a particular individual, he would notice it and then he would immediately create a piece of content or a post which was just hyper-polarizing but completely aligned to who he was just so that he could shed the shed the shit basically on all these other people that were like, okay, starting to, and he said because it's such an easy trap that he had seen and not, and Colin Sammy go, you are just this wise sage and he's like, oh, no, 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 no. I ate a lot of shit to learn these lessons. And so now when I see it happening, it's like, oh, I'm being typecasted as this particular person and I don't want to be typecasted as anybody. He's almost like reclaiming his identity by creating anti-content, but content that's completely aligned to him, almost like fuck the algorithm, fuck the world. And somehow he said over time that breeds true loyalty as well, which is a really interesting sort of trip. Um, but I thought that was so remarkable to hear him say that because he's he's succeeded on a level that in this podcasting, he's almost the, the forefather of podcasting in many ways. I know everybody looks up to Joe Rogan, but for people specifically in the adding value podcasting space, I feel like Tim's the guru, right? The four-hour work week, you know, um, everything we've talked about in there is phenomenal. And I, I really... Yeah, the the Jordan Peterson thing that you mentioned is really interesting. I do have a question coming my way, coming your way, but just bear with me a sec. Because initially, with the left wing stuff, a lot of people in the left would watch his short form content, and it was very right feeling, and they would just label him. and the And there's a whole world of like, man, mental health for creators to be discussed in there, right? With the space that you're in, because people are taking short clips of long form content. Like Andrew Tate talks about this all the time, right? And I can't believe we're talking about Andrew Tate on this part of the podcast, but we went there, right? And so in there, like, and when you start, but the, the highlight ground was, hey, if those people that are running with the short form content took two hours out of their time to listen to a long form piece of content, a lot of their qualms would be neutralized, yeah, way back when. And now it's interesting because you said the audience like you have described and, you know, now Jordan Peterson is on a very right sort of lean with, you know, being on The Daily Wire. Ben Shapiro is admittedly like both hands right. Um, And so then like that's happened and then it's really interesting watching the dynamic of that. Now the question that I've got, lining into there is you mentioned this and this is where you left off. Um, I just wanted to add some of my own points in because I'm so passionate about what you're saying. Success versus fulfillment, bro. Two very, very, very different things, right? You said a lot of people end up achieving success looking the like the caricature of, you know, what their audience wants them to be, but it's not fulfilling. Um, maybe just an easy way to sort of start the line of questioning. So for us to go down is what is the difference in your mind around success and fulfillment? So I don't see a difference between outright success and fulfillment. I do see a difference between fulfillment as in like intrinsic reward, intrinsic motivation and material success. Okay. So with success are a couple of things that I think are important to highlight. One, 
there is, I, I've talked about this before, I've written about it, the, what I call the hidden cost of success. Okay. So most people are familiar with the first cost of success, which is the price you pay to achieve success, right? Grinding it out, you know, working long hours, all the stress, all the whatever, right? The, the, the price you pay to achieve it. Most people understand that. But there is a secondary cost that very few people ever account for, which is the price you pay after achieving success. So for example, <clears throat> let's say you really want to become a best-selling author. That sounds super cool. So you, you put in all the work, you, you write the, you know, you get the, the, the book deal, you write the book, you do all the promoting, you do all this other shit. Then you achieve quote unquote success. Well, now you are a best-selling author. Now, what does your day-to-day reality look like? Because a lot of times, let's say you are a best-selling author. You may have crippling self-doubt that you will ever be able to write another book that matches it. Okay. So now it's like, well, I achieved this one. Does that mean I peaked? Right. What can I, do I even have a second book in me? What if, you know, what if people forget me? Maybe you made a lot of money through it. So now you have family members and friends coming out of the woodwork to hit you up for money. Maybe because you became famous, you have lost a, a, a modicum of anonymity. So, so for example, we talked about Tim Ferriss, Tim Ferriss, he he's talked before about one. He's like, you don't want to be rich and famous. You want to be, you know, rich and, and, and anonymous basically, or obscure. Cause one of the things that Tim ran into was after he achieved major success, he bought a house, but he bought it under his name and got fucking stalkers. So now he's like, don't, if you're famous, don't buy shit under your own name, buy it under, you know, a shell corp or some other kind of shit. Right. That was something. Yeah, exactly. He was like, I, I bought effectively at the time my dream home and I couldn't live there because people stalk me because of my fame. Okay. So you need to recognize what is the hidden cost of success? What is, what is the price you're paying after achieving success? Are you willing to pay it or not? Okay. That is, that is a huge issue that a lot of people are into is they achieve success, but then didn't account for what it actually means to be successful. And that causes them to be absolutely miserable because they're like, well, fuck, I did this thing I thought would be super fulfilling, but I actually hate the day-to-day reality of it. So, and this isn't to say like, don't be an author, don't be a musician, don't be an entrepreneur or whatever, like don't do the thing. It's saying, be aware of what life looks like after success so that you can make an informed decision as to whether or not that is the path you actually want to travel down and grind it out and make all the sacrifices to achieve in the first place. You may be okay with fame. You may be okay with people hitting you up, or maybe you can say, okay, the likelihood that if I'm a successful author, you know, family and friends are going to hit me up or people are going to stalk me, then I need to compensate for that throughout the journey to, to reduce the likelihood of that happening. Right. Or, or to just to have fail safes in place to deal with that inevitability. Yeah, man. I, um, do you think of that? Yeah, in my thing in um, spiritually aligned living as like, you know, as a coach that helps people live spiritually aligned, oftentimes I end up in a career coaching spot because the thing where people are not aligned is their career. And I looked back and, you know, it it comes viscerally from one of my deepest pain points was seven years of career misalignment, literally feeling like when I share this on podcasts, I'm like, I felt like I was plugged into the matrix being harvested for my energy, bro. Touch wood. Um, You know, it's quite dark. But from there you know, I say people pick directions. And I said, look, if I just, before I walked out into construction and engineering, right, all those years ago, just 
found five people that were doing what my future looked like. Some of them were around me. Some of them could have been on LinkedIn and just reached out to them and said, hey, I'd like some career advice. Can I take you out for a 20-minute coffee? Here in Melbourne, coffee is a whole thing, right? And just sat down with them and asked them the questions in alignment with what are the three best things about your job and what are the three worst things about your job, right? And obviously as a coach, I say, if you can, if you think the three bits of the shit sandwich that they really hate, right? Like, and you can eat those with some level of grace and you're like, actually, I can stomach that. That doesn't seem too bad to me. Maybe this is okay for you, right? So for me, like take an example for yourself, I'm sure people probably think listening to other people's problems. And I've had this conversation is a fucking drain. They're like, you're just sitting there listening to other people's shit all the time. How do you not take that on? How do you maintain your own positive cycle? They might... I don't know. I kind of dig it. (laughs) I like listening to people. I like the connection. I like empathizing with people. So, but with engineering, you know, the, the construction stuff, like if I had just taken five people out to coffee, asked them those three favorite things, three worst things, and been able to discern that and just go, actually the shit stuff's really shit. I can't, you know, I don't want to deal with all that toxicity. I don't want to deal with all of that stuff that comes like with X, Y, and Z. Um, I don't want to, you know, cuss out the entire industry right here, but, you know, that's not for me. So I think therein lies this really interesting place because the question I was going to ask you is like, how do you account for the future's success when you haven't actually had a palpable um, taste of it? And I will still ask you that question. I just know from my experience, the only way I've been able to nut it out is, there are people out there that are mentors um, that you can go out and reach out to and just go, hey, can I ask? Like, Because I had an opportunity, a friend of mine was willing to give me part of his construction company because I helped him with some stuff after you know the podcast took off and you know coaching wasn't really taking off. And I was like, do I need to go back to work in construction? And when he offered me that, I sort of went, oh, shit, this sounds great. Like the entrepreneur in me is like, I could own half a construction company. Like, check me out. Like what a boss. (laughs) So my ego just went, had a field day. I was like, I'm ready. And then I had, but then I took a dose of my own medicine and I was like, purpose aligned, like, you know, uh, spiritually aligned career coaching. Like what does the career coaching you say to people? It's like, take some people out to coffee, find out. So I found a few construction company owners and said, Hey, what are like some of the worst things about owning a construction company? And the guy's like, dude, it's really hard to sleep at night when you've got kids because, you know, you have to put some down payment as an insurance when you borrow money for the bank to work on projects. And the thing you're putting on the line is your own home. And all it takes is for someone to fall off a ladder on the job and that's your home. And I was like, fuck, I never would have accounted for that as a part of success. Like never. And I found that to be a really useful, um, and I, and I ended up walking away from the opportunity. I was like, actually, this is not for me. Like I'm trying to build safety, security for my family, et cetera. And this is actually not aligned. Your tips, points, advice, how do you, how do we account for success? Not having walked into that world, bro. So one, I, I love the, the exercise you do. I think it's super practical, very, you know, doable for most people. Just literally just talk to people who are in the position you think you might want to be in one day. Um, I really like that. The, another thing is the people you, even if you can't necessarily talk to everybody who is representative of that, you can look at people in different industries on a day-to-day basis. Do they look like they actually enjoy their life? Right. They may or may not. Obviously talk to people is the most, the most direct way to, to suss that out. But on the whole, do people in that position tend to enjoy things? But beyond that, 
how does their temperament differ from yours? So for example, I can't remember if I told you this on the last episode we did, but when I was on internship, <clears throat> so to be a psychologist, it took me like 12 plus years between all, all the college and shit, right? And internship and tests and everything else. As yeah, I was, as well, a whole thing, right? So like over a decade of my life, it was spent optimizing for this thing. All I was at the time, I only was optimizing for just being a psychologist outright. I never thought about, okay, but what is the traditional path that most psychologists follow to be successful? And I quickly realized my temperament doesn't work for that typical path. So on internship, I, I had a lot of issues on my internship, but um, I at one point walked through the hallway and I saw my supervisor. He was dancing to himself in the hall. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. He was, I was like, what the fuck is he doing? He was making fucking, he was making fucking copies of a therapy manual and he was so happy to do administrative work and to just, just to do paperwork. He fucking loved it. Okay. That's just who he is as a person. Okay. Now he's the CEO. I just can't relate. (laughs) No, hundred percent. Right. Now he's the CEO of a different company and all he does is administrative work and he absolutely is fucking thriving. Okay. He loves, he loves meetings all day and paperwork and, and like HR shit. He fucking loves it. Okay. A lot of the, so, so success quote unquote, as a psychologist means I would eventually become a director of behavioral health. So I would like be the director of of my little program, uh, which means I would spend all day doing meetings, doing a little bit of therapy, but mostly doing meetings and dealing with the CEO, the COO, all that other shit. Um, It would mean eventually becoming the president of my local, my state psychological association, which would mean putting on, you know, educational events for other psychologists that they, it's, it's called a continuing education event. So, Everybody's only there to check off a box so they can renew their license in two years. Get those That's, points in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody wants to fucking be there necessarily. And nobody's even paying attention because nobody's actually learning new shit. We're all, it, it's, you're preaching to the choir. Like everybody in the room knows the same shit and we're telling each other, hey, this is important. You should know this. And everybody's like, motherfucker, I already know this. Check off the box. Okay. That would have been my living fucking nightmare. 
to succeed, quote unquote, as a psychologist, to become the director of behavioral health and then to become the president of my psychological association. It would have been fucking miserable. I didn't even know that that was the end of being a psychologist. Because like you said, like I didn't, I didn't know those people to be able to access it. But, and, and some of the people legitimately enjoy that position. They have a very different temperament and personality than me. So even though I could have looked at other people like, oh, well, they're happy. I needed to factor in, yeah, but are th- am I like them? Because even though they're happy, because I'm not like them, that doesn't mean I'm going to be happy. Okay. But what I found was the closer I, I got to approaching that success and crossing that threshold, I was able to see what was a couple steps ahead of me that I couldn't see before. And that was when I was like, okay, I can see far enough down the line to be like, I don't want to keep going down this specific path. What modifications, what pivots can I make to go in a direction that is more aligned with the life I want to live that may or may not mean succeeding, quote unquote, as a psychologist. Okay. Um, that is, is one thing. So look, you know, talking to people, looking at people as models, and then if you're on the path, actively intentionally looking ahead to see where does it, where is this path actually heading right now? Where is my trajectory heading? Okay. Can I just jump in there for two seconds? Yeah. Sorry, bro. Because I think that, that point, what you just described, there's a lot of courage that needs to show up in that place from my experience and having worked with people, because it's so much easier just to put the blinkers on the horse and just keep focusing on what everyone else has dictated will be success. But taking a little bit of courage to look over the next couple of speed bumps and go, oh, shit, there's a pretty big chasm over there for my personality, like you just described. You know, for other people, it's a jaw ride, but for me, it's a chasm. And then going, fuck, I've got to take the blinkers off and take a look around. So many of us, I think more and more people are having that conversation because the pain of being stuck in this one place is, you know, like, you know, the transformate transformation or something. There's a quote, I'm going to butcher it. You probably know it back to front, which is, you know, you don't transform until the pain of change is less than the pain of staying the same, basically. And the blinkers are forced to come off. And then you go, but I just wanted to honor that, man, because there's, you know, it sounded so smooth when you said it, because you've obviously worked in this space for so long. But it's a fucking point in time when that happens. Yes. Uh, so one guy, I don't know if you've had him on, but if you haven't, you should. Um, his name is Paul Millard. Paul has a book called The Pathless Path. Um, pa- Paul's a fucking dope person. I fucking love Paul. Um, but Paul and his book, he talks a lot about like the evolution of work and how, you know, the, the default path is you go to, you, you get this degree, you get this job, you work this, you, you do all these things, you jump through these hoops and then, you know, whatever. Right. But what more and more people are, are, are doing is they're venturing into entrepreneurship, content creation, coaching, podcasting, whatever. And they're like, fuck, there's not a rule book for this way. Like I'm not guaranteed like at work, you're guaranteed if you do X, Y, and Z, you'll get a promotion or you'll at least not get fired, hopefully, or you'll move up. Right. With, with the path that, you know, you and I are on and many other people are on, that there, there are no fucking rules. So there's, there's so no much uncertainty. in the bowling lane. Dude, man. <laughs> dude, there's so much uncertainty. There's so much self doubt. And this is part of the, you know, the, the hidden cost of success. I am willing to pay the price of that. I am willing to look every day and be like, my future is uncertain. I am hopeful, but uncertain. I can, 
because effort doesn't guarantee outcome. I can work my ass off to build a thing and maybe nobody will give a shit and nobody will buy it. Nobody will care. Nobody, whatever. Right. That is always the thing. You are constantly surrounded by other people who you deem as more successful as, than you in, in some capacity, right? Most of the guys I look up to, most of the people I look up to are, you know, I'm at, at almost year three as an entrepreneur. A lot of the people I really look up to are at year five or six or seven or eight. I have to remind myself, I, it is unrealistic for me to expect myself to be where they're at because they are twice, they're multiple years ahead of me. I need to compare one. I need to compare myself to myself and nobody else. But if I'm going to compare myself to other people, I need to compare me at three years to them at three years. Where were they? I am likely ahead of them. Okay. So as long as I follow a similar ish trajectory, success is on the horizon, right? I am willing to sign up and pay the, that price of, of quote unquote succeeding as a creator and an entrepreneur, because part of that is the uncertainty of day-to-day life. I am willing to pay that because that also means I have a level of freedom that I wouldn't have had in my previous job. Yes, I do not have the security, but I do have the freedom. And I am willing to sacrifice security for freedom. Many people may not be, and there is no right or wrong. It is about what is right for you. personality thing you were saying again, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and I'm just on a real note, like I'm just oppositional as fuck and only being told what to do. And I hate being an employee. So like entrepreneurship is kind of inevitable for me, but like, it's just that kind of thing. Right. Like, but again, that's, that's temperament as a person. I am more oppositional, but Paul is fucking dope to have on because he talks a lot about exactly what we're saying of like, you know, people ask him all the time, like, you know, how, how do you stay on this path? He's, you know, this pathless path. He's like, cause I'm cool with uncertainty pretty much. He was like, if, if you're trying to like guarantee security, he's like, that just, that doesn't exist on this path. You need to recognize that as you pursue it. It, it, it isn't a, a good or a bad. It's just, it, it's a reality. There isn't certainty. If you do this, if you are not okay with uncertainty, then think it through a little bit more, but Paul, you, you and Paul would have a deep conversation. Um, there's a really interesting piece there because now we're sort of dovetailing into what I had initially intended today's conversation to be about, which was Memento Mori and the Stoics sort of, you know, leaning into things because, yeah, man, I, you know, the uncertainty piece, being comfortable with uncertainty when so much of society is just like modern day society, I should say, is just baked in convenience, right? Like just get convenient, like this job's convenient, that job's convenient. Like I think I was reading a quote, I can't even remember who to attribute it to anymore, but like the two most addictive things in life, number one, heroin, number two, consistent paycheck. <laughs> and it was just like, <laughs> and I was like, shit, that's some real talk right there. <laughs> like, I, you know, and to, to recognize that and go, holy shit, like, okay, you know, you mentioned the pathless path and Paul being okay with uncertainty, I would love to get him on. <coughs> Pardon me. But the question that sort of arises in there is, yeah, because you've done a few talks on the concept of keeping death front and center in your mind. And I don't think there's anything more for the human psychology to grapple with, with regards to uncertainty. Is that informing some of like deeply some of where we're at? Um, and yeah. Do you get the line of my questioning? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm a huge proponent of Memento Mori. My entire right tattoo sleeve is, is dedicated to Memento Mori. Um, so I'll put it this way. <clears throat> when I'm coaching somebody, I'm I'm typically a little more professional than in just like private conversations with with a close friend because you know you don't have to have the same veneer on. Um, 
I'm not much more professional, but I'm a little more professional because I'm, this is, this is basically how I am all day, every day. Um, but (laughs) one, thanks. I was told not to be like this at at, at my job. And I was like, I know we had that conversation in the last one. Yeah. Yeah. This is is my value. Sorry. (laughs) Exactly. So, so, so here's, here's when a friend asks me, because my friends ask me all the time, like they'll, they'll talk about how they want to be an entrepreneur. They want to be a creator. They want to do those other things. And there's always like all these, but this, but that, whatever. Anytime they say, what is your advice for me, Corey? When it, when, when it comes to this, like I deeply want to do this, but all I can see are obstacles. The, again, the non-professional response I give is you're going to fucking die one day. Quit being a pussy. Now let me caveat. Pussy is actually short for pusillanimous, which means coward. It has nothing to do with women. I don't want to get fucking attacked for being a bro or some shit. You Same pussy. To, you didn't okay? get to cancel Corey. <laughs> What's the long off. word? Sorry. Like, What's the word? <laughs> pusillanimous. You can Google pusillanimous. it. Pusillanimous, it means coward. coward. Pussy is short for pusillanimous. There's no connotation to women. <laughs> anyway, it's me being oppositional too. of like, fuck off. But, but, but honestly, like basically you're going, like you're going to fucking die one day. Stop being a coward. Right. Like, and, and this is how I think about it. This goes back to like the four horsemen of fear, all the other shit I've talked about. Every, every insecurity you have pales in comparison to the fact you are 100% going to die one day. So anytime I start to say this direction is aligned for me. This is a direction that is intrinsically rewarding, that is fulfilling, that is eudaimonia, that is whatever the fuck, self-actualizing. That is a path for me. And then I see all of these obstacles, the self-doubt, the possible criticism from other people, the backlash, the uncertainty, the uh, just how insurmountable it, it, it seems. Every single time I'm like, okay, but I'm going to fucking die one day. This is insignificant compared to that truth. So for me, Memento Mori is a hugely clarifying exercise and just reminder that puts things in perspective. I had a mentor early on, his name's, uh, Dr. Keelan Hinton, uh, who would also be dope for you to get on. Um, but Keelan is a psychologist and, and I can't remember if we talked about Keelan before or not, but Keelan is the reason I changed my major to psychology in, in college um, because he had such a passion. Um, did, did I talk about this? No. I did. Okay. Well, no, 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 so long story short. So, okay. So, uh, I had a required psychology class in undergrad. I was like undecided. I bounced around majors and I had, this was like an adult development class or something. So basically the psychology across the lifespan of how we mature and shit. And it was like, you know, Dr. Dr. Hinton. And I was expecting this like old ass white dude covered in fucking chalk to walk in to this class. And it was like a hundred people in this class. It was a big ass cause it was a required class. Nobody was there cause they wanted to be, we were all there cause we had to be. And in walked in this like early thirties, black dude from, um, uh, Americans or not Memphis, Tennessee. So Memphis is known as being like a rougher city. I'll put it that Great way music. Uh, for the non-Americans. <laughs> yeah. But like to live it, you know, there, there's, there's some, there's some sketchy rougher edges. Yeah. Um, and Keel, like, and he was covered in tattoos, and he didn't speak like professorially. He talked like a real motherfucker from Memphis. Okay, like he he cussed and he talked like he was he was from where he grew up. Like it was a whole thing. And I was like, you have my attention. And the passion he had 
for psychology, just, it, it totally shifted my perspective. And literally like that day I changed, I went to the bursar and changed my major to psychology and got, you know, bachelor's, master's doctor, became a psychologist. Like everything I've, I've become started with that, that day, that class in Keelan. And I'm forever grateful for Keelan. I'm telling that all the time. One of the things that Keelan says is life is about perspective. Life isn't about right or wrong. It is about perspective. Anytime we struggle in life, it is because we have lost perspective it, to some degree because we have, we've become myopic or short-sighted of like, this is the, like, all I see is this problem. Well, if all you're seeing, all you're focusing on is a problem, you cannot see a solution that is beyond that. You have lost perspective. That is all coaching is. That is all therapy is. That is all any sort of inner work is, is to shift your perspective to to something that is more empowering and less disempowering, less victimizing, less, you know, limit limited, right? It's all just a fucking perspective shift. Everything I talk about, the videos I make, the podcasts I do, the the articles I write, the coaching I do, whatever the fuck, courses, whatever, everything is is fundamentally with the intention of helping you shift your perspective on on the direction that is right for you to go what is holding you back and how to overcome it. It's all just a matter of perspective. So when you learn that, Memento Mori is a very powerful way to shift your perspective and get out of your own way. Because the first time it sort of, well, the first time it entered my sort of awareness was Roman emperors apparently, or Rome, the biggest thing you could do apparently in Rome back in the day was come back from war triumphed, right? And they would walk down, or they would chariots and stuff, probably not walking, right? So they're being carried through and like the world is just praising them. And I can imagine like all the glory of Rome back in the day, right? Just praising the living shit out of you, right? And they would have someone like position behind them, genuinely whisper, Memento Mori, you're going to die going to die so at the height of your success you are like just people are raining you in accolades and you're just like and you're going to die and you're going to die and you're going to die seems hella masochistic but like you said the perspective thing is so like the perspective that it puts around everything is so profound and the quote that i brought to today's podcast to sort of riff with you on is like marcus aurelius i think it's somewhere in meditations and he goes, you could leave right now. Let that determine what you do and think. And to carry that around, like you said, like literally I could leave right now, <laughs> you know, touch wood. And what was the last thing I said? What was the last thing I thought? You know, and it has, even as I say that, it, I can feel the triggers even within myself of how purifying an anvil <laughs> it sort of provides, right? Your thoughts? So I, I extend memento mori to not just mean, remember, it will it, it, remember death, remember you will die so much as remember it will end. And what I mean by that is, you know, Ryan Holiday, he's kind of talked about this a little bit. Like, you know, if you're holding your kids, remember, not, not even like just remember, like your kids could fucking die or something. Remember that they won't be kids for forever. Right. Remember, it will end. Remember, childhood for them will end. Remember, these these moments where like you are their whole world will end eventually and they'll become a shitty teenager or something. Right. Like it, it's something like that. Right. Because or, you know, like when I so I'm 35. And so, you know, as, as you get older, if you have family members who still live, they get older, too. And we're all just 
crawling to our fucking grave, right? It's confronting. So, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. And, you know, people start to get sick, their health declines, people, you know, you lose people, whatever. Anytime I am visiting family, I'm not on my phone. It doesn't matter what's going on, like with the business or whatever, because I'm just like, look, this will one day be a memory. I need to be as present as possible rather than looking back and being like, fuck, I wish I would have been more present in that moment, right? When I'm at home and a family member calls, I'm not too busy. doesn't matter what the fuck I'm doing because this could be the last phone call, right? You never fucking know. And there is a, a, a depth of presence that that allows you to access that is very difficult, if not impossible, to access any other way, right? Because it is so easy to basically never be present, right? Because when you're with your family, you're thinking about your business or your job or this other stress. When you're at, you know, when you're at your job, you're thinking about this other shit. Or like we're never fully present in where the fuck we're at right now. But if you remember, here's 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 like a because you know I know spirituality is, is a bigger thing, you right. For a lot of things you talk about, here's the thing that I have recently been playing with. So if, if this is just like a thought exercise, if you think back to a cherished memory that you have, like just sit with it and try to, to remember as many details of that moment as possible. Right. And just like really sit there, like really, whatever, right? If you could time travel, that would be a moment you would love to relive, right? When, you know, your your parent was still alive or this very specific moment in time or when this great thing happened, but then, you know, you haven't you haven't heard your mom's voice in 20 years or something, right? Like shit like that, right? Like, damn, I wish I could just go back and like smell my grandma's apple pie that I haven't smelled in 15 years. Shit like that, right? A cherished memory. More than likely, you you weren't overly present in that moment, as present as you would like to be now in retrospect, right? So one, that is one exercise everybody can do right now, right? But then I extend that and I say, okay, when I'm in a given moment, what will my 80-year-old self, how would they look at this moment right now? Because they would be like, fuck, I wish I would have paid more attention to the color of the walls or to the sound of their voice or to this joke they said or to just how it felt to hug them. Shit like that. When you take when you when you show up in life with that in the back of your mind of on my deathbed, this could be a moment that I would look back on. I need to be as present and take in as many details and be as intentional with how I show up as I can. Because nothing else is going to fucking matter. Every, everything, including you, will one day just be a memory. So like, well, one, what kind of memory do you want to be for somebody else? 100%, right? Like, what kind of memory do you want to be to your kids, to your partner? The distracted one, to the not present one, anybody the else? one chasing dopamine exactly. hits. Exactly, 100%. 100%, right? Well, well, but daddy had three, three, you know, three million Twitter followers. Fuck off. Nobody gives a shit, right? Was he there? Was he present, right? It's shit like that. But, but it's also just like, it was like my, my, um, a couple, maybe a month, month or so ago, my girlfriend and I, we went to visit, um, some of her family and it was funny because we're in our thirties and the people we were hanging out with were like the youngest one was like in their mid seventies. So we're like playing fucking dominoes with 70 and 80 year olds type shit. Right. And we were having a fucking blast. Right. But it's one of these things where it's just like, 
one, and I, I remember specifically, I was sitting on the, on the couch and everyone was in the kitchen talking and hanging out and setting up the dominoes game and shit. And I was like, one day this is going to be a, a memory, like a cherished memory that I want to be able to revisit. If I don't pay attention now, I won't be able to recreate it. I won't be able to revisit it. So one, I need to actively make the memory, but two, I need to fully engage with the moment so that it can be a, a more, a richer memory later down the line when all of these people are gone, right? When I am in my seventies, when I am whatever, and I'm just like, fuck, remember that time 30 years ago, we played, you know, dominoes and this really funny thing happened, right? Like most people go through life disengaged and then they look back on their life with regret wishing they could have been more present, wishing they could have taken more chances. They would have had the courage to do the thing that was aligned with them. It's like, look, motherfucker, you're going to die one day. Stop being a pussy. Like stop letting fear get in your way. Stop letting distraction get in your fucking way of being in the only moment you will ever have, which is this fucking moment. Such sage advice to carry around at length. I wanted to tune in in around um, in the moment, a little bit more in the moment, because when you talk about these random moments like you're playing dominoes, I realized through a meditation practice, I've done little bits and bods like this before, where one of my memories is I'm in Rome. <laughs> Interesting, Rome came up, but Rome around the Colosseum. Another one is I'm on PP Island in Thailand. And I've got these memories where I just remembered the moment being hella dope. Like it was just like this moment, my soul feels nourished. Let's just call it that way. Yeah. And I've just paused and gone, let me just establish. Now I've got languaging around it. Back then I was just soaking it in, similar to that Domino's experience. And I don't think I've, you know, exercised this to the nth degree, um, like as being a spouse in this podcast. But I just wanted to share what my experience is and get some insights from you in terms of how you advise that maybe we can drop into the moment, something practical for people to take away to really try and just soak in a memory because it's so profound. I remember talking to someone that was passing and they said, they looked at me and they said, all we are are each other's memories and that's all we have. And I remember just the depth of how that hit me and you're saying it again is really bringing all that stuff up again for me. And I think the point around memory is just a little, you know, trippy dippy hole to go down is if I'm in a moment, to just be present, obviously, I think in today's world, um, uh, yeah, just to take a moment to pause, to drop the stories, obviously not have your phone around is a great place to start, but yeah, really to soak it in. Like for me now, I would articulate it as and I would set up a frame and just sort of allow it all and like almost like a tea bag in a hot cup of tea, just allow the moment to steep into me um, and just allow it to infuse I consciously did it way back because I've always had a meditation practice. I was like, I would love to come here when I'm sitting in the dentist chair meditating and go to a happy place. <laughs> That's kind of where I was coming to these places from. I was like, this feels real good. Actually, this is worth sort of hanging on to for just a little second longer so I can create a happy place in my mind to go to Touchwood in the future. Um, and it's not too dissimilar to what we're discussing, but I think there's an invitation for us to sort of ask you the question in terms of how would you maybe I'm being an engineer about it, but how would you engineer those moments a little bit more if there are particular ones that we chance across that we would like to really remember? So one of the other um, professors in my program, 
uh, her name's Dr. Pamela Mulder. Dr. Mulder's super cool. She she's into a bunch of interesting spiritual things. Um, but one of the things that she talked about, so she's big on like lucid dreaming and shit. Whatever your opinions on lucid dreaming is irrelevant. Some people like it. Some people think it's bullshit, whatever. But one of the, th- the exercises that she said is a really good way to get into the habit of developing the muscle for lucid dreaming. She's like, just get into the habit of asking yourself, am I dreaming right now? She's like, now what will happen is most of the time you're awake and you're like, am I dreaming right now? The answer is no, I'm not dreaming right now. But if you develop the habit of constantly asking that question, one, there will come a time where you will be dreaming and you just automatically say, Hey, am I dreaming right now? And then you'll be like, fuck, I am. And then you can start to like lose the dream right now. So taking that further, asking the question, like, or, or, or having the statement of like, this will end, right? Like how will, how will I look back on this after it has passed? Right. One day this will all end. One day this family member will be gone. This moment will be gone. Even like, especially like when you're early on in an endeavor, right? Like when you were early into podcasting or you're early, you know, as an entrepreneur, everything's a fucking grind. There's tons of uncertainty. But what a lot of people after they achieve success, they're like, yeah, but those times were so much fucking fun because I was just grinding it out. There's so much uncertainty. There was, right? And it's just like one day this will end too, hopefully. Right. Like one day it won't feel like such a grind. So learning to appreciate it in the moment helps you, you, the way we're wired, you basically can't be grateful and resentful at the same time. Right. Gratitude and resentment don't really, can't really hold the same space. So anytime you don't want to be resentful, find something to be fucking grateful for. Right. So it's something as simple as that is like, if you're really grinding it out or you're in a stressful situation, recognize one day this will end and you may look back on it with, with appreciation. So how can you learn to be grateful in the moment, right? How can you learn to be grateful for the grind, for the stress, for the uncertainty, for the whatever, right? Because if you can learn to see it as something to be grateful for, something you will look back on fondly, that allows you to push through it much more powerfully than if you were just resentful and hated the situation in the moment. Right. Again, it's all a perspective shift. What perspective do you need to adopt to move forward? And how can you adopt that perspective? Mm, I love that. One of the things I find myself reminding myself of, and actually some of my closest friends of, is when they're coming to me with challenges, is like, there is a past self of mine that would have killed for the level of problems I've got right now. (laughs) It's like, like, there's a problem. And it's, it's like, yeah, but man, this is, this is like, high quality problem we're talking about right now you know there's a this problem's wrapped up in a cigar almost you know it's like and if i do this or do i do that and it's like this is a great quality problem touch wood and just reminding myself of that exactly and like even like simple shit right so like something as simple as if you are going to the grocery store and you've got to park super far away you could bitch and complain about that or you'd be like okay well one day i may not be able to fucking walk when I'm like, if I live to like 95 or 98 or 103 or something, I may not be able to. I could get even a catastrophic walk, injury drive. tomorrow. Dude, the, the mental health toll that it takes on like senior citizens when they realize they can't drive anymore. And they're just like, I was just con- like tuning into this the other day because it happened to a friend of mine's parent. They can't drive anymore. And I was like, and I just stopped and I was like, oh yeah, old people. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. Imagine your whole life just being able to walk out the door 
and go wherever you want. Because most of us live in suburbia, right? Tuning into this, I imagine. And then now, all of a sudden, you are confined to your home. People have to bring you things or take you places, your sense of freedom. Because I I wound back to like when I had, when I first got my first car, I was never home, bro. The sense of freedom, I was just like, I just took off as a teenager. And realizing, oh, holy shit, like you go back in time and it's like, what was it like before then? Oh my God, my parents were taking me places. I was walking like, whoa, like, yeah. And I think that brings us back to appreciating what we've got in the moment. Question about perspective, because I think it's really powerful. And I think yourself and myself as coach and psychologist obviously have a lot of weight that's placed on perspective. But I do, when I feel into the zeitgeist and have a bit of a play with what I think other people are thinking, which may just be, you know, mental flagellation. So pardon me if it is, is perspective seems wispy. It seems like, oh, we're talking about perspective. Like it feels like a soft science. It doesn't feel like something so deep grounded and profound. And yet I know through your work, well, and through my experience of my own work, like, you know, even recently I made an email that went out to my newsletter list and <laughs> so many people wrote back with so much love. It was amazing. I got tennis elbow and I'll be completely real with you. I've been going to the gym for ages and I was like, fuck, like how does someone that looks after themselves touch with this well end up with an injury as like tennis elbow? Like, I don't even, you know, like I lift, I've got good form. I got all this stuff going on. Anyway, I went to like multiple like, you know, physios trying to get stuff treated. And initially it wasn't even tennis. It was just like my grip that had gone. I didn't realize I had tennis. And I was like, my grip's fucked. And I was like, man, that's my right hand. I do everything with my right hand. All these mouses I got to click and all this content creation. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but you then got I got it. to this. Dude, I, dude, you got to get a vertical mouse, man. Yeah, it's a huge unlock. Now. Go ahead. I got there now. Okay, cool. I got there now. <laughs> Thank you. Um, appreciate the love. And then I got to the physio and she said, and this is, and this is, this she goes, oh, you've got tennis elbow. And I was like, how the, f- like, I'm not playing tennis right now. It's my favorite sport, but I don't play it right now. I just go to the gym, rah, 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 this and the other. She's like, it's an RSI. And I was like, from what? She's like, you've obviously got a two-year-old. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, you've got a two-year-old. You've been picking him up a lot. This is your dominant hand. And I was like, yeah. She's like, you carry him in this hand? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, you got an RSI from it. And all of a fucking sudden, I fell in love with the injury, bro. I shit you not. I was like, hey, check it out. I love my son that much. (laughs) I was literally just like, I was like, this is an injury of love. Like, I've never had one of those before. What a fucking great injury. And I fell in love with the fact that I've got, and I'm like going through healing it, treating it is like, it's been a breeze compared to all the other gym injuries I've had in the past, which have actually been way more serious than like tennis elbow, (laughs) you know? And the question comes back to, sorry, digressed a little, was, well, not really, perspective. It seems wispy for those tuning in to like, oh, yeah, it's just it's just perspective. But actually, to some degree, it's just about everything that we're navigating in life, right? Can you anchor it in a little bit deeper for us? Yeah, so, like, talk about coaching or therapy or whatever. So unless, you know, you're, you're like a physiotherapist, right? you typically don't actually touch the people you work with. You're not supposed to touch your clients. Right? <laughs> ethical, ethical issues with touching your clients. Yes. So for most forms of coaching and therapy and other things like that, all you're doing is talking to somebody else. All that person is, is really a 
a conduit for perspective change. That's, that is your role as a coach or, or, or as a therapist is so like, like with therapy, right? It's called psychotherapy or talk therapy, right? Meaning you don't, you don't physically manipulate your client. You don't do chiropractic or all this other shit, right? You're just talking to them back and forth. Same thing with coaching. All you're doing is asking questions, giving, giving perspective, giving feedback, giving observations. And then the other person leaves that session with a different perspective than they walked in with. Okay. I agree. It is a very soft skill, a very soft science, but here's the issue. Humans are a soft species. Okay. Everything between your ears is soft. Like, well, everything in your skull is soft, right? Your brain is super fucking squishy. So everything related to your brain is by definition, like just, just soft and squishy. Okay. We're not talking about engineering. We're not talking about chemistry. We're not talking about those hard sciences. You as a human being, you are soft. So soft skills are super powerful for you to learn, right? Because what are other soft skills, right? Communication, setting boundaries, respect, right? Uh, validate, learning to validate yourself, right? Learning to embrace vulnerability. All these things seem super fucking woo-woo. And don't get me wrong. The majority of people who are proponents of this shit sound super woo-woo. Fully understand it, okay? But in my narcissistic opinion, when a fucking 265, six-foot tattooed bearded dude is like, hey, motherfucker, <laughs> you need to practice self-respect or you need to learn to validate yourself or shift perspective, hopefully it doesn't come across as woo-woo, okay? Like, I'm, I'm not, whatever. So these soft skills are the most important ones you can learn if what your goal is ultimately is to be a better human being is to be happier, is to be wiser, is to honestly even be wealthier because wealth a lot of times is a value exchange. You have to figure out, you have to develop the perspective of what other people fucking value. You have to develop the perspective to say, okay, well, what obstacles could get in the way? How are we going to overcome them? Who do we need to hire? How do we know who to hire? How do we know what skills are worth optimizing for? All of that is a matter of perspective. If you think of any time in your life you've ever struggled, I promise you, to some extent, it was because you lost perspective. You hyper-focused on the problem and you could not see the solution. Or you thought about it this way, but then after a huge ordeal and existential crisis, you then saw it this other way. Nothing changed except your perspective. But when your perspective changed, you showed up in the world differently, thus your reality changed. I am not saying some sort of you can manifest your fucking dream life with positive self-talk. I am not saying that at all, but how you talk to yourself, how you show up, how you see the world, all of that is rooted in perspective. So if you can learn to see the power of cultivating a more empowering perspective, because like, man, stop with me. I grew up super poor, food stamps, public housing, church donations for like holiday meals sometimes, uh, went through domestic violence, all, all that shit. Right. I could totally throw a pity party for my past self. Um, and I had a lot of anger as a kid. And I remember the, the, the guy that, you know, we had the, who just would beat the shit out of my mom. I remember like all through like part of middle school and high school, every, like literally every single night I would go to sleep thinking about beating the shit out of him. Okay. That was just, and I was a super angry teenager because of that. I saw my perspective. I saw danger. I saw threats everywhere. I was super oppositional. I would get into fights. I would do illegal things because I had delinquent friends. It was a whole thing. 
statute of limitations, but I'm still not going to say some of the things we did, but it was, it was a whole thing. It was, it was a rough, you know, perspective to adopt and it, it influenced how I showed up in the world. But then one day I was like, this motherfucker isn't losing sleep over me. I am losing sleep over him. And then I read this like Buddhist quote that was basically like, you know, holding on to anger and revenge is like holding onto a hot coal with the intention to throw it at somebody else. Because even if you hit that person, you do way more damage to yourself by holding onto that hot coal. So I was like, I have, and I was like, I have to learn how to let go of this hot coal. So I could, I didn't change what happened, right? I couldn't change the past, but I could change the story I told myself about the past and how I showed up. So I learned to see like, okay, this is a super shitty thing that I went through, but it taught me the power, the importance of you. If you have any power over other people, it is your responsibility to protect them and not victimize them. It taught me the power of compassion. It taught me the power of like, as a man, you know, Meant a strong man isn't somebody who yells and throws things. That is what a toddler does, right? Infants throw tantrums. Grown men don't throw tantrums. If you throw a tantrum by default and by my definition, you are not a man, right? Men control themselves. Men are respectful. Men protect. Emotional regulation. Emotional regulation, right? If you are emotionally dysregulated, you're just not a man in my book, right? And again, I'm not talking for, for women. I'm just my own experiences as a man. That is how I see it. Once I learned, once I, I developed that perspective, all of my anger went away. I didn't daydream about him anymore. I didn't have that anger anymore. I showed up in the world very, very differently. I didn't see enemies everywhere. I didn't try to start arguments. I didn't do all this other shit. And the only thing in my entire life that changed was my perspective. But once my perspective changed, everything else in my life from that moment forward also changed. I promise you, perspective is the unlock if you're struggling. Thank you so much, bro, for grounding that in. Because one of the big things also I find myself, again, you know, I get spiritual and stuff, as we know now on the channel, is um, I'm still not sure about destiny and free will. And one of the things I've come to terms with is I'll never know if it's all just happening the way it was meant to be or whether it's happening because I have complete free will and I'm choosing every moment that I've allowed to be. But I will know that if it is all happening the way it's meant to be, I still always will have a choice. And that choice will be not what I show up for because it is destined, let's say. But even in that instance, if it is that regimented and that cuckunked, like like clunked in, I will always have the choice of how I show up regardless of whatever I'm showing up for and perspective is always available for me and just what that does for my internal sense of freedom and recognizing that I may not have complete freedom around what happens in life. You know, we talked about memento mori, but I do have complete freedom around the choice to show up the way that I want and that comes back to perspective. I want to bring the podcast back to before I wrap things up with you here today. Um, mental health for creators is definitely what this podcast is and it's what you are and that is just feeling into just the wellspring of the, the depth of what's yeah, just available has been so yummy, man. I'm loving this conversation. I wanted to wrap things up by just reflecting on kind of where I'm at in my journey and just sort of open it up a little bit 
um, vulnerably and just reflect back and just add some value again to some some creators and that may be struggling with some mental health stuff and may maybe not even recognize it because I noticed when I was on my early YouTube journey, every thousand subscriber was a celebration. Yeah. Like we're talking about basic dopamine hits, but nonetheless, like every time I hit a thousand subs, it was like the Facebook post would when I go out and a, and a, you know, and an Instagram post would go out and like, Hey, like, and I genuinely felt like, Oh my God, like there's a thousand more people listening to something that I'm so passionate about pouring all my heart and soul into, to put out into the world, to leave the world a better place. Like touch wood, what a blessing. Right. And then we hit 10,000 subs. And all of a sudden, when I got to 11,000, it was like, because the rate of growth accelerated, it was like, oh, I'm too good <laughs> of a creator now to celebrate sub 11,000, sub 12,000. It's like, okay, do I celebrate sub 15? Like, do I celebrate in 15,000 chunks now because my rate of growth has increased and I don't want to be celebrating the wins because they're coming faster? every other few weeks instead of every other few months, right? And then it was like, okay, like, you know, be humble, be a certain way and, you know, just celebrate every 10,000 increments now that you've made it to the 10,000 increment level. And I'm wondering then, okay, like I'm watching someone like Chris Williamson, you know, who you've got a relationship with and it's like, I, he literally made the post the other day. He's like, I do Q&As. It used to be every 20, 000, every 50,000. Now is it every 100,000 for you guys or is it every 200,000? Like, He's asking, the like, what should I be celebrating <laughs> because things move so fast around here? And I'm just recognizing that then the hamster wheel for the creator, because there is that ego for the creator, you know, the, the depth between the perspective of like, oh, I achieved something pads out, right? And it's like this natural sort of the dopamine hit, which you were getting at every thousand. It's like, hey, I'm having an impact. Is like now it's like, oh, my need for impact has grown because I'm, I guess, um, conditioned or it's neutralized to some degree, right? That like, oh, like the thousands come every other day. Now it's like the 10,000 impact. And I'm sure that there's a mental health component to that because you're stretching yourself thinner and thinner as you're growing more and more. You're celebrating less and less to some degree. Um, that's a vulnerable share from me, but I'd love to sort of just, I think there's a lot of creators in that space that could take some value from just some insights you might have around how to, how to navigate those challenges of creatorship, feeling like a bit of a hamster wheel at times. No, that's a great question. <clears throat> and I agree. I think a lot of people really struggle with it. Um, well, one, I think just relatively right early on, it makes sense to celebrate every 1000. And then once you hit 10 or 15, it's like, well, if I'm growing faster now, right, because your, your rate of growth has increased, it doesn't make sense to celebrate the same like raw number, right? Because if you, if you're at 100,000, and you're, you're, you're growing at 10,000 a week, celebrating every fucking thousand is, is just, just, that is just cheap dopamine, right? When it comes to like, we're talking about like with Chris and doing like, like a, a celebration, like Q&A, that is a little different in that you, so with Chris, when he goes from like 500 to 700,000, well, he's making that to 200,000 new people, right? Like, so that is a little different. Like even, even if, you know, he goes 500 and then two weeks later, he's at 700 K. Well, this is a video for the 200,000 new people, right? Like that is a little, like that is more audience focused, more like value forward for them. I think for yourself, a couple of things. One is 
what does that what is that metric representative of for you that is tied to success in some form or capacity right so like for me uh at one point um so like newsletter growth for me right like I, i'm big on, on trying to grow my newsletter um and i uh, basically there was a, a period where my newsletter was growing a lot faster, but that ended up being a vanity metric because the way it was growing, um, people, th- some of those new people weren't opening the, the, the newsletter issues. So it's like, I can't celebrate this number, this, this top line number of, you know, total subscribers, I need to focus on what is my open rate? What is my click-through rate? What is my response rate? Like what are people actually responding to? So one for that, I shifted my metrics and then I obviously I cleaned my list so all those people were gone. But shifting my my definition for like what are success metrics for me that actually are meaningful? That can be helpful. Um, Because then I can, but but, I mean, you, you you should celebrate wins whenever you can. But it's but there's a difference between celebrating a win and chasing a win to celebrate, right? It is really good to celebrate wins because this life is a fucking grind, man. Right? Like it's a grind, tons of uncertainty, tons of ups and downs, right? It's an emotional roller coaster on a day-to-day basis. So when you get a win, it's important to celebrate it, to document it, to whatever, to share that win with your audience for you know, possibly. There's a difference between that though. And saying, okay, how can I manufacture a win to celebrate? How can I lower my bar for what is, is, is meaningful? How can I measure more things so I have more things to possibly celebrate? That becomes problematic. That becomes that hedonic adaptation and hedonic treadmill of chasing that superficial shit that doesn't matter, right? Um, so one another way you can look at it is this raw number is the outcome of a process that I have improved. I'm going to celebrate improving my process. I have, I am listening to my audience better. I am finding, I'm, I'm covering topics that are more aligned with both me and what I want to put out into the world and that my ideal audience really resonates with. That is a huge thing that you can celebrate on a day-to-day basis now. And then you can use the, the raw number as this, my process is working because it is leading to this. It, it evidence. Now, if, if I am doing what I think is working and in, in the process, but I'm not hitting that outcome, then there's something in the process that I need to tweak. And then I can celebrate tweaking the process, right? Um, that is usually what I, I would probably do is how can you focus more on celebrating the things that are within your control, your effort, your processes, your inputs, and then just using the those outputs, those external metrics that you don't have any control over as more of just like a, basically a, a lagging indicator of the success of your processes themselves and the impact you're having, right? Because even something simple as man is like, let, let's say you have, you put out an episode and it gets 500 views, but... 20 high quality, long comments in the YouTube section of people fucking loving it versus if, if you put out a video that gets 10,000 views and no comments and a couple (laughs) likes, was that one more successful? How are you defining success? Yeah. It depends. um, I'll get a little vulnerable here before I wrap it up. 
we did an episode with a Russian gentleman that put together some uh, technology that supports the works of like Joe Dispenza and all these intention setting stuff. And like, he actually, it's pretty cool. Like the technology is created and the episode did wonderfully in terms of views. Um, probably one of the highest views videos on my channel. A lot of the comments are like, dude, your audio is fucked. <laughs> and, <laughs> and everybody saying that just, <laughs> the video just fucking soared. And I'm just like, dude, we're going to fuck up the audio on every video. <laughs> well, and then, I, yeah. well, like if, you're, then, if your success metric is like, well, view duration, our retention was fucking high, AdSense went through the roof, fuck it, like. Okay, that was your definition of success. The algorithm meanwhile is just showing everybody this video because everyone's everyone's writing back the same thing. Audio's fucked, audio's fucked, audio's (laughs) fucked. (laughs) And so, and then Reese, and I have to admit, I asked the question from having felt that a while ago and I I have come home to what you're describing. It's, you know, the, the comments that people leave, I still read and write back to every single one. I'm just one of those creators, right? Touchwood connection is my highest value. And the messages of just some of the tribe that are in there just leave such heartwarming messages. And, you know, there's a whole conversation we can have another day about just purely dealing with comments because there's a lot of hate out there. Um, But then also just the heartfelt ones where people are just showering like some love for the transformation they experienced through something you shared. And I'm sure this conversation is going to be something impactful for someone. You know, the creators read the comments like many of them do. I do. And, man, like that... The, like there is genuinely like when I read a comment, I go, I, I write back to people going, this comment made my day. Thank you so much. And I just let them know that because for me, that is being, maybe that comes back to my values being connection and contribution. Just going, shit, man, like that really hit my values and I got the feedback and I did it. So yeah. I man. think one, one other thing that I think is really important <clears throat> for a lot of creators and, and people People who do any endeavor that they are emotionally invested in, I think preferably before you start, but definitely once you're on that path to define what success is to you, what it means and having your own definition of success early on makes everything else a lot simpler because then you're not chasing other people's definition of success you don't get caught up in chasing external vanity metrics that both you don't control and ultimately don't really matter. And instead you get to say, this is the game I want to play. This is how I win my game. Fuck everything else. Fuck everybody else. This is the game I am playing. And this, this is how I measure how well I'm succeeding at the game I want to play. So for you, so it, you know, it, it may not be, total, you know, subscribers or downloads, it may be how many individual actual lives have I changed with these messages? How many people definitively from the beginning of an episode to the end were fundamentally changed and went on and lived a different life than they ever would have had I not made that episode? That may be your definition of success. Now, yes, obviously you want, you know, you, you want, you know, larger impact, you want more income from it, all this other shit. But if your main metric that you have created and your main definition for success that you've made for yourself is that, as long as you're hitting that, everything else is more of a bonus and you're not chasing that. 
right? So really learning to play your own game, learning to create your own definition of success and then pursuing that, that is how I see living a much more aligned life for the long run. Dr. Corey motherfucking Wilkes. <laughs> That's my name. <laughs> That's my middle name. How'd you know? Oh, bro. Thank you so much. For, yeah, I don't even know where to begin with my thanks, man. Always keeping it so real. Um, like, and just, yeah, like the grace with which you just open yourself up to just share so vulnerably and it's just your, your humility is just beyond palpable bro it's it's like beyond refreshing it's 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 super grounding to tune into and man i just as a i can genuinely say this just as a brother to you man like it just means so much to me that creators have the resource in you as the psychologist to support the journey the way through like obviously you've committed so much of your life to this work and just seeing it being applied to creators now where there is such a a need in this space um because it can be such a treacherous journey and you're on the journey yourself as well and learning and navigating the pitfalls man it just the realness of that really brings home every like dude i love you man thank you so much for doing this with us here today appreciate you so much yeah Dude, likewise. And, you know, I'm down to come back anytime. Like, I legitimately look forward to these conversations. Um, I, again, like this, this week, I'm like, oh, cool. I'm getting to go on Amherst show. Like, this is fucking dope. Like, I know we had to reschedule. I was like, oh, no. Like, before. Like, like legitimately, like, I am down to come back anytime. I, I love having conversations with you, man. I love what you're doing. I love who you're serving, how you're serving them. I just want to support any way that I can. Oh, bro, it's completely mutual, and I look forward to the next time. Thank you so much, bro. So much love. Likewise, man. Take it easy. <laughs> I mean, that's never happened before. We started talking in the preamble, and midway through, just going, fuck, I'm going to have to record an intro after because this is the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> was not what I think we were originally talking about, but then it was just like, no, this is the direction we're going. <laughs> It was, but uh, oh man, I was just as I was feeling as we were talking, I was just like, this is, this is beyond profound. And and you know, one of the things I always try and strive for in the conversation is aliveness of content. Just feeling like what's really alive in in my heart and in the guest's heart. And as we were riffing, I was like, dude, this is exactly what's actually alive in my heart. And you're speaking to it. I was like, let's just, whoa, like there's there's not a better episode that you could create right now than this. Like, just keep talking, just keep going. Like, you know, and. It's kind of cool just feeling into how raw and vulnerable we both were because of how real we were just chatting to each other. But then I was like, shit, that's that's going to make for an episode. Like, that's quite Dude, that's the, the shit you got to put out. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So I just rode the edge the whole way through. And yeah, it's interesting <laughs> seeing how, like, some of it came back into, like, what my initial intentions around the podcast were as well with the Memento Mori stuff. And, um, yeah, man, we went into, like so many oh fuck yeah man i genuinely love you i'm late for the next one but i got a jet but man yeah we'll definitely do some hit, more of these hit me up and we'll do another one man all right thank you so much for tuning into this amazing episode of the inspired evolution without you the inspired evolution tribe this podcast would not be what it is today thank you so much for your love and your support thank you so much for being so inspired to evolve it's truly inspiring. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Inspired Evolution on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution's video podcast. We release inspiring conversations such as this every week, 
along with guided meditations and empowering insights all designed to help you grow and evolve. Honestly, your subscription on YouTube to the channel helps us out a great deal. And one of the other benefits, if you're having any insights or shifts from these episodes that you want to chat about, or if you'd like to leave myself or the guest a message, please do so in the comments on YouTube. I truly look forward to hearing from you. And as always, Tribe, remember to stay inspired and keep evolving. Mm -hmm.